And so Abigail is the inter- intercessor here. And so it was, verse 20, as she rode on the donkey, that she went down under the cover of the hill, and there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing has missed of all that belongs to him, and he has repaid me evil for good. And he did. Nabal was a nasty man. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. In David's angry, agitated state, Something unexpected made him and his whole company come to an immediate stop, a great procession of gifts, and at the head of the procession, a beautiful woman bowing down before David. This had to make a startling impression on David. Abigail, Nabal's wife, made her appeal in utmost humility. She didn't come to David as a superior or even as an equal she came to David as his humble servant. Proverbs 22 verse 4 says, By humility and fear of the Lord are riches and honor in life. Now here's Pastor Rob. And that was his reputation. He was a scoundrel. Have you met somebody like that? We all have. Somebody just rude. They're just rude, filthy. Literally, it's a son of Belial. Belial is a, is a term that's used, and it's an epithet of Satan. It's a nickname for Satan. He's the son of Belial, and that's what they called Nabal. You know, when a person refuses to listen to the counsel of anybody else, that person is in grave danger, aren't they? When you're not willing to listen to anybody else, that's a bad place to be, very bad But to listen, to consider counsel, to be accountable is a hallmark of a truly wise person. Somebody who is wise will listen. They're teachable. They're accountable. Nabal was none of these things. In Proverbs 11, it says, Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. In Proverbs 15, 22, it says, Without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Proverbs 24, verse 6, For by wise counsel, you will wage your own war. And in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. But Nabal was of none of that. He wouldn't listen. Are you the type of person that listens? Or are you the type of person that has to figure it out your own way? Remember when you were teenagers? Your mother and your father would tell you something and you'd say, well, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go do my own thing. And then you go do your own thing and then the the, the thing that your father told you was going to happen if you didn't listen to him actually comes to pass. And it usually does. 
Son, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. No, I can do it better. I'm better. I, I won't even get caught because I'm better than you, Dad. Okay, son, I'll, I'll, when I get the phone call when you're in jail, maybe I'll let you sit in there for a couple nights. Maybe that'll sober you up a little bit. Oh, you've got it, got it covered. Wouldn't get caught. But that's the kind of a person who's unwilling to listen. They're not willing to obey. And such as are some of us, even Christians, are we still stubborn? Are we still willing to listen? Are you willing to listen to somebody younger than you, filled with the Spirit of God? That's a challenge. Somebody who's less mature than you? Telling you something you know is right, but because you're older than them, you must have more experience. You must be better at it. You must be more wise than they are. Not always true. I've seen some old people, there's no wisdom at all. And I've seen a 14-year-old demonstrate greater wisdom than a 79-year-old person. It's the truth. It's unfortunate that somebody can live that long and, and still be so, such a mess. It's really a shame. Because by the time you're older, it should be, you should be the wonder of your neighborhood because of your kindness. But it says at the, the very bottom part of 17 there, He's such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. He's unable to be spoken to. He's unapproachable, unwilling to learn, very unfortunate. And usually people like that, they die bitter, angry, and lonely if they don't change. That's usually the result of it. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we need to pray for individuals like that. If you've got some in your life like that, pray for them. And sometimes you need to go right to them and tell them the truth. Tell them the hard truth. But first, you better pray. You better pray before you go and rebuke somebody. Or even, even if you do it nicely in love, pray to get your own heart right and then go tell them that they're a scoundrel. You can do it in a nice way, believe me. I remember those, uh, my mother, I, I, what I'm about to say here, I'm not going to recommend that anybody do, you know, don't do this, okay? Don't do this at home. Don't try this at home. But I remember um, my mother telling me a story. She, she's a retired police officer, and she works in a restaurant. And an old couple came into the restaurant one night, and he was just nasty. Just, I mean, she knew who these people were, and he was just always really nasty. And the wife was very nice and very kind, but the husband was just, he never left a tip, always very demanding, just rotten. And he spoke to her really harshly, and um, he, he, he said something to my mother. And my mother put him right in his place, you know. And, and I mean, she really nailed him right to the wall. You know, he said something, and my mother says, Who died and made you king? Something along that line, right? And the lady's like, <gasps> You know, because her husband is this, you know, nasty Nabal type of guy. And, 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 and he got really quiet. He got really quiet. And so, you know, again, I'm not recommending that, but sometimes we need to be assertive and, and tell people, not in that way necessarily. Sometimes we need a shot in the arm. We need a kind of a jolt a little bit to, for somebody lovingly to tell us, hey, you really need to think about what you're doing. And incidentally, that night after their dinner, was the lady wrote this note to my mother on the, on the bill. I'm so thankful for you. And she gave her like a really huge tip. You know, nobody, nobody's ever said anything like that to him, ever. 
You know, he's the one barking out the orders. Never, you know. And my mom just kind of laid him out right there. And, you know, her, you know, so anyway, we're going. We're going on. We're going on. So, <laughs> but in Matthew 7, Jesus said this in verse 15. He said, Beware of false prophets who come in to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. And such was the case of Nabal. And you know, when you look at her, Abigail, and you contrast Nabal with Abigail, it couldn't be more night and day. You know, she was, had these fruits of the, the fruit of the Spirit happening in her life. You know, she had the love and the joy and the peace, the kindness, the patience, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control, and her husband was just the opposite. Verse 18, it says, Then Abigail made haste, and she took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five seas of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, loaded them on donkeys, and she said to her servants, Go on before me. See, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. She did all of this without her husband's understanding or knowledge of it. Do you remember, this reminds me of when Jacob and Esau, it's recorded for us in Genesis 32 and chapter 33, where after taking the birthright from Esau, many years go by, and finally Jacob and Esau have a meeting. And, and, and before Jacob actually meets Esau face to face, he has these waves, waves of offerings to his brother, you know, livestock and sheep and everything like this. I mean, just wave after wave, and then finally he comes to, you know, meet him himself. And things turn out really good for Jacob and Esau. They, they make up, and it's a really beautiful story. Same thing here. You know, she sends this mess of, of meat and, and provender to David, and she follows after and that's a pretty wise thing to do. You never want to be the ambassador going out before the food to a bunch of hungry guys, especially if they don't know the food's coming. Send the food first and then come afterwards. You know, when they see the Big Macs coming, they're like, oh, thank God I'm starving. Whatever you say, I'll listen to you now because I'm eating. All right? That was kind of the deal. So, but she didn't tell her husband. And there are times when we have to obey God rather than men. And I believe the Lord was putting on her heart to do this very thing because she was a woman of understanding. She was intelligent. And I believe she was being led by the Lord here because had she not intervened and interceded on behalf of her husband who deserved to die because of his attitude, not only would he, not only would he have died, but all the other men who served with him or served under him, David was coming after all of them. And David was completely wrong in doing that. But Abigail interceded on their behalf. And she didn't tell Nabal what she was planning on doing because had she done that, he certainly would have refused her and even forbid her to go. And that would have ultimately led to his demise and all the men. Does that make sense? And so Abigail is the intercessor here. 
And so it was, verse 20, as she rode on the donkey, that she went down under the cover of the hill, and there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing has missed of all that belongs to him, and he has repaid me evil for good. And he did. Nabal was a nasty man. After all that David did, there was no thanks, not even one meal. And that was just so unheard of. That's what incensed David so much, because the hospitality thing was so ingrained in him. It was so ingrained in the culture. And when you don't see any thanksgiving, but rather a a, a shoving away, and, and, and it's just like a slap in the face. David is incensed. He says, may God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. Now when Abigail, verse 23, saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey. She fell on her face before David and bowed down to the ground. She bowed down to the ground. And so she fell at his feet and she said, oh my Oh, on me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. So she is just a really remarkable lady. She's approaching David for who he is going to be. I mean, the men in that culture, of course, they, they had a higher standing. But she knows in her heart who he's destined to be. And she bows down before him. And I believe this whole dialogue that her and David or her and uh, her and David have, there, there's a lot here that's really telling. She says, "On me." Notice that Abigail again interceding for her husband, her husband, and all the male servants. What an amazing woman! She says, "Please let my lord, verse twenty-five, regard this scoundrel Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my lord whom you sent." She was completely unaware of this embassage that had come earlier. She was completely unaware of it, and and. And it's very uncommon for a woman to speak this way of her husband in this culture to anyone else. But she needed to. She needed to intercede because David was bent on murdering her husband and all those guys. And so she had to like get right to business, and she did it. But it was very uncommon for a woman to do that. It was not a good thing, but she did it to save her husband's life. Now therefore, verse 26, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. She's saying, David, let your enemies be destroyed, but don't do it to this man. And again, I'm sure she's had many days where her husband treated her like a fixture. I'm sure there were many days that he treated her like some of the livestock. I'm sure there were plenty of excuses for her to just say, you know what, he deserves it. You know what, I'll even help you. <laughs> Give me a sword. Let me have the first whack, you know. I mean, she didn't do any of that. Treated poorly. Everybody hated him. But yet she stood up for him. 
And now, verse 27, this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. And here she is. She's very hospitable. She arranged this whole mess of food to come to them, to help them, to bless them. She alone knew what they did. Nabal did not care. So she says, please forgive the trespass of your maidservant. Please forgive? What, what, what? Why would she ask for forgiveness? Perhaps because when that, those, that embassy or that, that embassage that had come to tell Nabal what David wanted and what he was asking, she probably felt bad that she didn't hear about that. Maybe she was too busy. Don't really know, but she says, Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord, notice this, underline this, this is really important, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. That's really significant. Underline it. Because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Abigail, perhaps through the Spirit of God, was giving an essential insight into the Davidic covenant, which was yet to be given to David. She was prophesying here. She was saying, For the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. There was something that the Lord was using this young woman giving her a word of knowledge, certainly prophesying. In 2 Samuel, you might want to write off to the side here, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8, through 16 actually, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8 through 16. I'm going to read it to you because this is the Davidic covenant. This is when after David came into the kingdom and he, he began to be king after Saul's death, God spoke to Nathan, his seer, and told Nathan to tell David the following. He says, I took you from the sheepfold. So he's, God is telling Nathan to tell David, David, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler for my people over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and you have cut off your enemies And I have cut off your enemies from before you and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who were on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all of your enemies. Also the Lord tells you what he, that he will make you a house. Because this was at the time when David, when he finally gets into his kingdom later on, he's like, you know, I dwell in this beautiful house, but God is, you know, the, the, the Ark of the Covenants under this, you know, badger skins and this ugly looking tent. So David's thinking, you know, we got to build God a house. And God says, don't worry about me, David, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll build you a house. And he wasn't necessarily talking about the temple, although it did include that, but his house would be his enduring throne that would endure forever, speaking way past David to a descendant of David, none other than Jesus Christ. Uh, and notice what, she, what, what, what Nathan says here, or God says to, to David in verse 12. He says, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Do you think that what Abigail was saying was prophetic? You better believe it. Because God 
was going to tell David the very same thing years down the road. And here's this young woman being used by God, saying, David, you're going to have an enduring house. And he goes on in verse 14 here in Second Samuel 7. He says, I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the son of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And notice, here it is again, verse 16, so important. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. He repeats it again. How did Abigail know that he would have an enduring house? The Spirit of God. That's what. This young woman. And David. <laughs> all, the while she, all the while she's talking, I bet his jaw is slowly dropping. He's listening to her and he's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And pretty soon his jawbone comes unhinged and his jaw hits the ground because he's listening to her and he knows that God is speaking through this woman. Verse 29, back in our text, says, Yet a man has risen to pursue you, and certainly we all know who that is, and he's come to seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. David, you are untouchable. David, you are divinely protected by God. And what a word of encouragement from a young lady. Not only is your house going to endure forever, but God is going to protect you, David. You are bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. Doesn't that remind you of something? It's certainly reminding David of something. Can you imagine? At this point, his jaw has hit the ground. There's this beautiful young lady telling him all these things, and she even remembers when I took out Goliath, that day of faith. And David's probably comparing where he's at now compared to that day, and he's scratching his head and going, Oh my, this woman is something. Can I take, can I, can I, can she be my wife now? And that's what David's thinking right about now. He's thinking, but she's married. I can't touch her. But his heart and his mind, his whole being is totally enthralled with Abigail. And, 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 and something begins to birth within him and her as well. Verse 30, it says, And it came to pass, when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed you ruler over Israel. There it is again. She had a very good assurance and understanding that, David, you are going to be king. You're not going to die. And what a what a encouragement that was for him at this time. He was hungry. All of his guys are hungry. He's a little bit frosted. He's a little bit uh, crispy around the edges. He's running for his life. He knows that Saul's Empty promises aren't going to last very long. And he's hearing from this woman all these wonderful, glorious things. And David is falling in love with her. Let this be no grief to you, nor offense to, of, of heart to my Lord, either that, you have shed, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. In other words, David, it's not worth your time to be messing with Nabal. So as his name is, so is he. Don't even get in, the, get in this guy's way. That's basically what she's saying. It's not worth your time. You don't want your reign to be stained with this incident that you're about to do. I'm sorry. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.